0: This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guest do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Welcome to Making Space, A Diversity Dialogue, and I am your host, Cole. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. This episode is in honor of Women's History Month. We're going to be talking about women in politics, women in voting, and we actually have two expert guests this week. That was really fun for me to find out. I'm really glad to have them on. It is Dr. Jensen Branscombe and Dr. Marcy Reynolds. Now, Dr. Branscombe is an assistant professor here at Tarleton State University, and she has experience in U.S. immigration, women, gender, sexuality in the United States history, American Southwest borderlands, and modern United States history. And Dr. Reynolds uh, teaches at Tarleton as well. She has expertise in American politics, interest groups, the judicial ban- branch and state and local government. I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to them and they can tell you how they gained this expertise and a little bit about themselves.
1: Okay, well, great, thank you. I'm really delighted to be here. Um, this is Jensen Branscombe. So yeah, I teach history at Tarleton. I've been here for about five years. Um, most of what I teach are modern US history classes, but I do uh, have expertise in specialization in immigration history and women and gender and sexuality history. Um, I, I sort of a a long um, career path to get me to these interests, but um, I really developed, I would say, my interest in women's history specifically a little bit uh, later, and it was when um, actually I left my undergraduate and just started paying attention to the world around me and noticing some uh, different experiences that women were having, you know, in the workplace uh, and in politics, and so when I went back to graduate school to study history more in depth, I started wanting to know a little bit more about the history of of women, specifically in the United States, and so I uh, included that in my study, and I'm really delighted to be able to teach those topics here at Tarleton.
0: That's great. Now, did you have uh, personal experiences with those differences before you came to higher education, or did you just really start noticing after you, you graduated?
1: Well, I think it was... I didn't really... Uh, notice until I graduated with my BA in history, and mm-hmm. I was applying for jobs, and I think I was interested in, in jobs that historically weren't maybe not considered uh, women's work, roles, right, or right? feminine, and and that really started to, to get the, uh, the the wheels, the gears rolling in terms of thinking about um, why why do we even have these con- conceptions of women's work and men's work, and how um, challenging would it be? for a woman to enter these predominantly male fields and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, education historically has been uh, women's work, considered women's work, but there is a difference in higher education where, Mm -hmm. you know, women are more associated with with younger kids and that caretaking role. Right, that nurturing. And so I've I've had wonderful experiences through graduate school and working at Tarleton, but uh, I do think these gender issues um, play a role
0: in, in higher education. Right, and th- these are all important. We'll get to those, and now we're going to hear from Dr. Reynolds. Go ahead. All right. Hi, I'm Marcy Reynolds,
2: and this is my second year here at Tarleton State University. I work in the Government, Legal Studies, and Philosophy Department, and mostly teaching Texas government, a federal government, in Introduction to Political Science classes. I have have entered this profession. This is my second career, actually. I was a high school teacher before. So, yes, it wasn't a huge jump, but I taught government and became really excited through teaching government and learning more about the civil rights movement that really intrigued me and how it was evidence of democratic processes in our government to a certain degree. And so when I went to grad school, I decided I want to see if there is democracy in America. Mm. Yeah, that was my question. and okay. so, Yes, and so that led to my focusing in on interest groups and um, state and local governments and processes in those uh, mm-hmm. levels, and then also with the judicial branch and the decisions of the judicial branch, which had such an important effect on civil rights in this country and
0: also democratic processes. Mm-hmm. Right, thank you very uh-huh. much for sharing that with us. Uh-huh. I think we're we're going to change it up a little bit. We, um, our past two episodes, we've kind of had a different structure, but this time we're going to go over vocabulary first. Now, I have a list, and I did not know if you guys had any extra to add, but we're going to go ahead and go over the gender gap. Did one of you want to take that definition? Okay,
2: sure. All right. So, the gender gap... Uh, online definition is mm-hmm. a discrepancy between men and women in various endeavors fields etc so I just took it as discrepancy between men and women and then applied a political lens to that right okay good so started out just basically are there policy preferences that you could say are more gendered Okay. Right. And studies have shown that there are a few issues that are of greater interest to women than men, or that women seem to focus on more than men, and those would include the role of government in policy areas such as education, healthcare, welfare, and gun control. So we have that kind of split between men and women, and women paying more attention to those kinds of issues. However, I do want to add that with party polarization, it seems like the men and women within parties are tending to agree more on issues and how to resolve them. So you would have a greater distance inter-party. So women in the Republican Party versus women in the Democratic Party would have a wider distance in their policy preferences Mm -hmm. than within the Republican Party. Okay. Yes. And along that line, though, interestingly, women, since around the 1980s, have tended to vote more often for the Democratic candidate than the Republican candidate. And there's about a 10% difference in that how often they will vote for the Democratic over the Republican. And this is pretty consistent across racial demographics as well, with the women favoring mm-hmm. the Democratic candidates. All right. And then finally, so that was gender gap with policy yes. preferences, partisan identification, and then also, I wanted to just briefly address political ambition, because there is a gender gap with political ambition. Right.
0: It, I feel like, as recently, we have gotten a lot more ambition from women to go after political roles. I mean, if we look at the presidential um, election or primaries that we're doing right now, there there were quite a few women in that. I know Elizabeth Warren was one of the major ones. Um I find that really interesting. I'm glad that we're getting there. I just wonder where that was before.
1: Well, and if I can just interject, this is uh, Jensen again, just, I I think you're right, right? Ambition matters, but it's also about opportunity, right? Which I know we're going to get to, but I think um, it's not that just like,
0: Previous right, we, 21st century women didn't want these right. Women had ambition. <laughs> so, women yeah. had ambition. It was yeah. just, um, was there a place that they were able to go with that? Absolutely.
2: That is it. Because mm-hmm. there are institutional barriers to women advancing still. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a male-dominated um, venue when you're running a campaign or you're trying to find funders. Primarily you're going to be working with men. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been an exclusion of women both formally and informally, you know, the smoke-filled rooms, etc. So there's just been this pattern of women Mm. being excluded from politics. Also, if you think about just incumbency and, you know, not any kind of gender bias there on the outside, but just...
0: But that uh, inner thinking, what you've always grown up with.
2: Precisely. And... The people who are in office get reelected time and time again. Mm-hmm. So this opportunity is limited you know, for women. So when there's an open seat, like in Congress, then you have, you see more women coming out to run right. for those offices, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so women have been also somewhat reluctant to step into this gap, just because of some of the social constraints. That they are under. Um, there's a perception that women candidates have to be more prepared, better qualified. Right. You know, um, possess leadership skills more consistently than men mm-hmm. do. And so there's gendered patterns of socialization that affect you know, the perception of candidates versus also w- m- women's roles. And so we see that women are often expected to fulfill domestic roles and spend time giving care to children and elderly
0: relatives
2: mm-hmm.
0: th- that men do not have the same right. kind of There's just this, I mean, and we're going back to the definition here, this gender mm-hmm. gap between what we perceive males should be doing, mm-hmm. even if it's not outwardly or loud spoken versus what we perceive or have been taught that females should be doing.
2: Exactly. So right. gender gap can mean many things. And I like that you mentioned uh, how more women seem to be running now, mm-hmm. right? And especially in the 2018 election, right? We saw a large increase in the amount of women running for office and, mm-hmm. and winning. So, yes,
0: yeah. yes, that was really nice. Yeah. All right. Um, our next vocabulary term is going to be glass ceiling. Um, I don't know if one of y'all wanted yep. to do. <laughs> take that one. Too. Oh, <laughs> I'll
2: jump in Dr. Again. Reynolds, you're like, yes, I have <laughs> yes. all of these answers.
0: <laughs> Just these two. <laughs>
2: So, the glass ceiling, again, just an online definition, it's an intangible barrier within a hierarchy that prevents women and minorities from advancing. So, we've heard of the glass ceiling terminology for over 50 years. I've heard it
0: thrown around, and it was only recently that I really kind Mm -hmm. of understood what it was, and I always associated it with the workplace. Mm -hmm. But going to politics, what is... No. How is it? a very similar Mm -hmm. application as to the
2: workplace then Uh, women can gain power to an extent but it's it's limited and so i'm going to go back to the workplace real quick of course with that okay yes and just thinking about 50 years ago how different the work environment was then with work and or serving in congress just the difference between men and women you know now we have federal and state um prohibitions on sexual harassment which mm-hmm. we didn't have back then mm-hmm. now we have the equal employment opportunity commission which we didn't have back then so I really think that women have made advances in advancing towards the glass ceiling but uh, it's just it's difficult to go further i don't, I don't know, like hillary clinton right you know like right getting into that top spot Yes, mm-hmm. And we see in Congress there's a plateau where about twenty five percent of the members of Congress are women, and we don't see that changing much
0: you know it, it fluctuates, right. but yeah, we haven't gained we don't we don't see a large difference mm-hmm. anymore. It's just stayed at the number of seats that are taken, right. and that's it
2: exactly. so in a way that could be a glass ceiling you know Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. she's Speaker of the House. so we have retained that and yet. Um, as far as just representation uh, um, and moving into these places where you have a
0: seat at the table mm-hmm. and you actually have some power, right? There seems to be some limitation there. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some stagnance going on mm-hmm. there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and if I can add that, I th- I think this glass,
1: um, you know, visualization is important because mm-hmm. some some of these. Um, restrictive laws that you mentioned Marcy earlier they they are gone right you can no longer discriminate uh, on the basis of sex um when mm-hmm. it comes to work right you can no longer discriminate At least openly. Like, right right say that women have to look a certain way or, right. or weigh a certain way to have these mm-hmm. positions but exactly well, what you're saying is that while we call it a glass ceiling is that that barrier is still there but it's 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 made more invisible right because right. those um, more restrictive policies um, have, have been scrapped right mm-hmm. but now we have these kind of uh de facto Backhanded, right or yeah uh, like not all like that evident right that nice, oh you're, you're not we're not going to give you that job because you're a woman we're we're going to find other reasons to right maybe to you to don't have this away, so. uh
0: this particular skill or this level of experience even if you have the same as other candidates mm-hmm.
2: And we might be getting into this later on, but I did want to add, and this is relatively recent, actually, where you don't hear people looking at women and saying, oh, look at our women candidates for office. Look at her hair. You know, why isn't she wearing a skirt? I mean, that was in the 1990s. Reporters would focus more on women candidates and how they looked and what they wore more than their
0: issues. Yeah, that is... That is incredibly interesting, I know so, we we reached a point in political history where we had t v instead of radio, and it suddenly became more of a looks game and more of uh, more of a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. Wow, that might have been a hot topic to say <laughs> um, well, we went to more of what people looked like mm-hmm. um as to what they sounded like, mm-hmm. so then of course, you get to women who do have this perceived of oh, she has to have a skirt over her knees or um, don't so show her collarbone or et cetera. Exactly. That's a good point to bring up.
2: Right, and I think that does fit in with the definition that
0: Dr. Branson mm-hmm. gave us for the glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so our next one, and I wanted to make sure to put this on here because I know a lot of people hear the term and just see it in school textbooks, like, okay, but they don't really think about what it means, um, and that's going to be suffrage, Right, so um, I, I'll address
1: this one, yes. um, it, and it is an important term it is. and interesting because it sounds horrible, right? Mm. Oh, we want to end suffrage, that seems bad, <laughs> right. and I hear that every once in a while, but um, actually suffrage quite simply just refers to um, the right to vote, right? It's a political mm-hmm. franchise, and so um, we part of the reason um, that I think it's important that we're talking about women in politics today is that this year is the hundred-year anniversary of women getting the right to right. vote, and that's going
0: to be in August, right? Yes. Um, yes,
1: but right. Of course, the campaign was was much much, much longer. longer. Um, but we refer to that um, kind of conventionally as the the women's suffrage movement. So mm-hmm. it was about women specifically fighting for that political uh, right to get the right to vote. But of course, other groups in American history and world history um, have have had their suffrage
0: movements mm-hmm. to earn that. When we um, think of it, we usually think women's suffrage yeah, and, and in
1: fact, um, to a lesser extent here, but certainly in in England and western europe um these these women's rights activists and their um, you know male supporters and mm-hmm. allies would would often call themselves um, suffragettes, right? so it right. sort of became part of the lingo mm-hmm. all
0: right uh, did you all have any other vocabulary terms that you, you thought about? Um, if I could add add one more, of course. Um, of course. because I had a difficult time. Um, I know with some of these topics, I am completely like all I'm doing is my own personal research. So if there's anything you guys could bring, that is amazing. Uh, well, the term I thought of because it has historical
1: significance, but also current relevance mm-hmm. is the term equal rights amendment or okay. ERA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would imagine most people who are are sort of familiar with these topics might associate the ERA with, like, 1970s feminism. Mm. But it actually originates in the 1920s. And basically what the Equal Rights Amendment was is a a proposed uh, amendment to the United States Constitution that would ban discrimination on the basis of sex. And it's pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty much the language. Um, So it's originally proposed not long after women do get the right to vote, and it's a sign that this is a a, a victory for women. It's Mm -hmm. not a complete victory, as I know we'll talk about, right, right? it leaves out a lot of non-white women. Um, But it was something to be celebrated, but the fact that we move on pretty quickly to uh, Alice Paul proposing the Equal Rights Amendment is a sign that there are other areas of life in American society where women um, are not uh, yet equal to men. Um, It doesn't gain a whole lot of traction in those um, first few decades after it's Mm -hmm. proposed. Uh, But then it does become another issue in the 1970s. And again, this is the era of um, the second wave feminist (laughs) movement and women's liberationists who who take this back up. And it actually does uh, pass the United States Congress, but it fails to get the requisite number of states to ratify it, right? So I don't want to right. get too much in the weeds, but um, it, it sort of faded away again. There was, there's actually a pretty strong uh, resistance to the Equal Rights Amendment from a number of areas, but there are also women who opposed it. Um, but it's, I mentioned, it's been in the news recently because um, just in January of this year, the the 38th state, Virginia, uh, voted to ratify the 38th Amendment. So we now have the the number of states needed to ratify, but there's a little catch that uh, mm. we, we passed the, the seven year, initial seven-year deadline to do so. So this is kind of a current um, news item, and we'll see where it goes. But I think it's another kind of important term for people to be familiar. Because our Constitution actually doesn't um, fully address sex other than um, right. specifying certain rights for men, I should say.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, there's, there's reasons we have amendments in the Bill of Rights, and there's definitely certain things we need to add on as uh, as we grow as a people and as a nation i think we're gonna go into history now we mentioned the women's suffrage movement and that was from 1848 around there until 1920 that now that's not saying that there weren't women fighting for rights before that that's just when it really kind of picks up and gets traction. And that's going to be uh, because of the Women's Rights Convention, right? With uh, Elizabeth Canton? No. Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I, there's yeah, a C yeah. in there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and that was in Seneca Falls, New York? Is that how you pronounce that? Okay. Yes, yes uh, with the Declaration of Sentiments. Did you guys want to add anything about that?
1: Well, I, I will just say—I mean, you're absolutely yes, right. Course. We um, that date is is sort of pointed to as as the beginning of what will become um,
0: this you know, whole the, the, movement. So yeah, right. Sense. This
1: woman rights movement. Um, but if you and I do recommend listeners to to look up the Declaration of Sentiments because it's really quite fascinating because mm. it, it it is sort of. Um, a recognition that um, since the founding of the United States and the Declaration of Independence, um, women have not been fully recognized mm-hmm. as full and equal citizens. And I, th- I think sometimes, right, we we forget that people, you know, 100, 200 years ago um, sort of re- recognized, to a certain extent, some of the same um, injustices that we do today. So right. um, I would just add, right, it, it is a, a declaration that intentionally include includes equality for men and women
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right um i just wanted to note that also elizabeth stan was the first woman to run for the house of representatives in 1866 that is a something i found that was really interesting so this person she really really was gung-ho and did have that ambition like we were talking about earlier and that was so long ago but she was ready for it she was ready for it to happen now in 1869 susan b anthony and elizabeth stanton founded the national women's suffrage association um i didn't find too much about that so do y'all have anything to say about it um well, it, it is considered, right, sort of the
1: national um, and, and l- really the most significant woman suffrage mm-hmm. organization. Um, it certainly won't be the other one. And I, I, I do want to stress maybe this is a good point to recognize that, you know, keep in mind from this transition from 1848 um, through where we are now in the right. 1860s and 70s, we've seen the abolition of slavery, mm-hmm. um, the, the ratification of the 15th Amendment to the mm-hmm. Constitution, which... Um, got rid of of race right or you right. cannot no longer use race color or previous condition of s- servitude um, when it came to voting rights so um, the uh, you know a, a lot of folks um, we want to keep in mind that why we can admire and respect that the, the work that these women were doing um, they certainly had had some failings in terms of yeah. their tactics and uh, leaving out um, non-white women by mm-hmm. and large this wasn't across the board, but this will certainly come to be kind of a shortcoming of, of the early 20th century um, mm-hmm. woman suffrage movement. Um, so there'll be, there'll be others and uh, other organizations that are important, right. but that's yeah. certainly one to, to know One to mention, mm-hmm.
0: right. Uh, now I'm just gonna run through a few names here of some firsts that women have done um, in this movement. So the first woman to run for president, uh, Victoria Woodhill in 1872 uh, in the Equal Equal Rights Party and then we've got the first woman to be elected as mayor in 1887 that's uh, Susan Salter in Kansas and then the first three women elected to state legislature in 1894 and that's uh, for Colorado House of Representatives Clara Cressington uh, Carrie Hawley and Frances Clock and the first woman elected As state senator was in 1896 in Utah and that's Martha Hughes Cannon and also wanted to mention the first woman elected to Congress as well and for the House of Representatives in 1917 and to 1919 and then again from 1941 to 1942 now we kind of go through there. There's so, so many more people and so many more, more first within that list. I know I just ran through a few of them very quickly. But when we really start, when we finally end that movement, in a way, it's uh, the 19th Amendment in 1920 gave women the right to vote. Now, that's, I, I remember there are some constrictions on that, Correct. You know, in
1: terms of women voting?
0: Yes, women voting. I had seen around, but I was never able to get a clear answer mm-hmm. that women had to be married to have the right to vote. No? I know. No, I imagine I in some states
2: so. they would pass laws like that. Yes, but not the federal level perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. but within states. Yes, I certainly can imagine that happening. There's some sort of regulation mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the 19th Amendment itself just. It's pretty simple right? right
1: right to vote cannot be denied on the basis of sex okay. um, and and they were right and, I, and Marcy's right to, to to mention that there are state laws at work here and actually
0: women some women in some states had the right to right vote to vote beforehand. before 1920 right. so Nin- 1920 was just that federal level of okay right all right we've heard you now right right we've and, heard you <laughs> you will say that you can vote yeah and so and I would add then one
1: one of these restrictions at kind of the state level are um, you know Jim Crow laws in the South. So right. I, I mentioned the 15th Amendment, now we have the 19th Amendment. So according to the Constitution, right, all women, right, all, all people at this point mm-hmm. should be able to vote, and yet we know the rates of African American voting in the mm-hmm. South, um, Af- African American women voting in the South, right? those right. rates stay very low through the civil rights era. So mm-hmm. I think that would be maybe one of the,
0: the kind of restrictions you're talking right. about. So the that just be like the southern states using some sort of regulations uh be it that you had to name all congressmen or something yes those Um, are literacy tests mm -hmm. yes literacy tests right right. uh if we're gonna compare um to african-american people Uh um you, you could have a regulation for oh you had to be married something like that and I did want to add, mm-hmm. just here in Texas, because that's what I teach the yes. most right now. <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> please. Right. All right. In 1902, Texas instituted a poll tax, mm-hmm. which was in yes. place until 1966. Yes. Wow. So you had to vote. I mean, you had to pay to vote. To vote. Interesting. And they I would did not know that. Yes, they would require you to pay in the winter, early spring, before your crops went in. Mm. So when your money was particularly dear to you, you were having to pay for your seeds and all the mm-hmm. stuff that you needed to have a good crop. Instead of asking them to pay after the crops were brought in, and they actually had some money prior to the general elections in November. Right. Right. So this was a law that particularly focuses people who were lower income. And you can imagine the formerly enslaved people right it would be particularly targeted that way exactly who were primarily sharecroppers and Mm -hmm. tenants here so that was a law that texas had on the books until 1966 60 years now something even more insidious i think in 1923 after women got the right to vote
0: Mm.
2: um, texas instituted by state law white primaries So Texas is a one-party state, by and large, for most of its history. Mm -hmm. We transitioned from Democrat to Republican, but we've always been like a one-party state. Right. We were Democrat back then. And so the Democrats decided, well, the state law gave them power to limit people who participated in the primaries, which in effect would choose the candidate because Mm -hmm. the Democrat was going to win. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they instituted... The white primaries, which excluded, of course, African American and Latinos Mm -hmm. from voting, and in 1927, a Supreme Court case overturned the state law. So then the Texas Democratic Party said, okay, we won't make it a state law, it will just be a party policy. So the white primaries continued Mm -hmm. until 1944 with Smith v. Allwright, another Supreme Court decision that said, no, you can't do that. You just can't have white primaries. Yes. (laughs) That is against all sorts of the constitutional amendments yes, yes. <laughs> and interestingly there is a county in texas that decided to have jaybird primaries or a pre-primary mm-hmm. where a group of people got together and voted on who should run in the primary and these were limited to white people in the jaybird mm-hmm. and that was struck down in 1953 so basically am you know th- over 30 years
0: Texas had a white primary. Right. It it took a very long time for the southern states, specifically oh, Texas, okay. yes, to try to try to keep, keep up. Exactly.
2: Equal rights. Yes, and even after yeah, that was struck down in 1953, mm-hmm. local communities would have slating committees. And so the powerful oh, Wheeler dealers, I guess in the communities would get together and decide who they wanted to run for office. And then all the money and the support would go behind those candidates. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't on that list, then you very likely were not elected. Mm-hmm. So the power remained at the top. All
0: right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I wanted to mention that right after um, the 19th Amendment, the League of Women Voters was founded. And that was, tried, that was trying to get uh, women to kind of rally and make sure they use their right to vote. Right? Am I correct on that one?
1: Uh, yes, I mean, this was, it, and I, I want to mention that League of Women Voters is still around today, oh, yeah. and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a great organization, mm-hmm. and um, they they um, are, are, are nonpartisan, and they do a great job ahead of every election putting out voter guides, so you don't <laughs> have to be a woman, but I recommend, right? <laughs> this is one place resource. to go just to get that um, information, but yeah, you you definitely see the kind of activism around um women's political activism continue even after the vote Mm and the League of Women Voters and the
0: Equal Rights Amendment are are evidence of that all right now after the 19th Amendment I was just going to run through a few more names the first Latina woman to be elected for a statewide office was in 1923 and I think that's pronounced Solad uh Chan Chan and then the first uh Native American woman was elected uh or was in state legislature in 1924. That's Cora Bell Reynolds Anderson elected to the Michigan State of House of Representatives. The, for, the first black woman elected, and there, there was someone, There's a black woman who was appointed after her husband died before this, but the first black woman elected to state legislature was in 1938. And that was Crystal Bird Fawcett. And then that was for the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. And then we have the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That gave women of color the right to vote federally. Um, it wasn't just for women, but that was something that we wanted to mention. And was written to overcome all state and local barriers for people of color. That's not just African American people, but uh, Latino people, Asian people, all of that. So that was really, really important. And I think we talked a little bit before this section about what it's like nowadays in um, the political climate for women. But we have Hillary, Hillary Clinton. We have Sharice Davis, um, Deb, sorry, Deb Hayland, I think Uh, the first native American women to be elected to Congress. And then Ilan Omar, and I apologize if I'm messing up these names. Um, Rahisha Tabad, the first Muslim woman to be elected to Congress. So that's really good. Do we have anything else to say about our recent years? Like, what, what does it look like? I know we mentioned that about 25% um, of Congress have women in them. Correct. And our House of Representatives... Um, So we do have women representation, but we talked about that glass ceiling that maybe we aren't going anywhere Mm -hmm. at this point. And, and Cole,
1: I would mention, too, because you talked about, of course, this very important Voting Rights Act, which has recently um, changed a bit Mm. um, by a Supreme Court decision in 2015, which has taken away some of of the Voting Rights Act power. Um, But, you know, in in your earlier timeline you mentioned the first woman – to, the, to Congress was in 1917, mm-hmm. um, Jeanette Rankin. Um, the first black woman in Congress isn't until the 1960s, right? So again, right. I, th- I think That's you see that, big that gap. Um, and that was Shirley Chisholm from New York, but I also wanted to mention her because she also is the first uh, woman of color to run for the presidency in mm-hmm. um, one of the major political parties, the two major parties in 1972. So, right, you you mentioned some of these notable firsts, and we definitely want to recognize them. Right. But I think we should also recognize the women that, you know, d- put in the time and the effort to, mm-hmm. to, to run to run mm-hmm. these campaigns, right. which
0: are just a ton of work and it, it's come so at much personal work, costs uh, and a lot of emotional cost too. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, even if you look at what's happening now. Uh, there's there's a lot of pushback from people uh to like you say Elizabeth Warren as far as like okay that that's never going to happen or certain things like that. It's very difficult, I think, to be a woman in politics or be a woman in the face of such media. And it's very brave, I think. Uh um, agree. agreed, <laughs> yes. yes. yes.
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of Barbara Jordan in nineteen seventy two. Yes, yes, Texas. Yes. Yes.
0: Right. Yeah, I think we're, Texas, yeah. uh, I think we're gonna go ahead and. We have a lot. We have a lot of questions this time around, so I think we're gonna go ahead and start on those. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is the part of the podcast where we answer those tough questions. Now we had kind of that general history and vocabulary over- overview, but there are a lot of questions that people have that were like. Not sure who to ask them to or not sure if they're really politically correct to ask or something that has always been said to them that they really want to know the answers to. So that's what's going to go on here. Now, the first question I have is why are women still considered a minority group right now, even even though they are such a large portion of the population well absolutely yes (laughs) over 50 percent
2: right right yes right are women and uh but the thing is we're roughly equal in number to men but they do qualify as a minority group because they tend to have less power and fewer privileges than men so that puts them in that category okay yes all right um yeah we talked about 25 percent of Federal and state legislature mm-hmm. are women, and women of color constitute about nine percent of that number. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that goes back to that gender gap mm-hmm. idea, where right. if you look at, um, you know, certain professions
1: and in politics, mm-hmm. when that since we're about equal, right, in society, you would, you would, would expect you would half of uh, yeah. the House to have exactly right, right. And, and some of that again might might be. Um, you know personal choices and interests mm-hmm. but but again that that's connected to the glass ceiling and those other things and that then connected to
0: how we we grow Absolutely. up and see ourselves mm-hmm. as women right sort of. like are we really pushed the way sons are pushed for example yeah. right now the second question is why is it important for women to be in politics i i think we kind of explained that ar- already but what do you guys think why are women important to be in politics Representation
2: is really important to me in thinking about different facets of representation. When you have your ideology, your policy preferences being represented at a decision-making table, you know you have a voice in government. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that we have diverse representation in our policy-making bodies in the United States at all levels of government. So I do think it's very important for women to be in politics to give a voice to women's perspectives, women's Mm -hmm. experiences, women's attained wisdom that may not be there otherwise. So I think that's really important. And secondly, I wanted to kind of address what you were saying Mm -hmm. earlier, too, is just women in office inspire other women to run for office. I mean, mm-hmm. there are research studies that support this. So it's important to have those role models and those examples and those party leaders, perhaps, that will help you come up through the system and run for office and be engaged.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. You kind of have that inspiration mm-hmm. as well as almost a, a confidence and knowing that, or a comfortableness with knowing that, okay, someone at least has my back, right? Exactly. And this is Jensen again, I, I would yeah. just add, right,
1: all of the research shows that mm-hmm. when you have a d- diverse group of people, um, they make better decisions. And, and um, and you know, that's not to say that, um, you know, all women think alike. Mm-hmm. Um, we we could probably that's have a conversation. A tonight, but, um, yeah. I, it's just, right, it, it's representation, but it's also from all of our different kinds of identities, We we bring different ideas and different considerations mm-hmm. to the table. So I think um, that, that's another reason to have women in the room. It's not that men don't, don't think about women, don't care about right. you know, it's stereotypical women's issues, um, but it, it's just that perspective and that life experience that, that's right. that we yeah.
0: add to. Now, this kind of goes into a question that was coming up next. Is it still valid for women to be in politics even if they don't value legislation or bills that support other women? Yes. I mean, based on my
1: previous (laughs) um, response,
2: um, yes, I think that is the case. Agreed completely. And women, we need women in all parties, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the main goal is to increase the participation of women in the political arena and and not just relegate them into certain kind of demographic or stereotypical group okay this is what a woman woman thinks Mm. right we need to have lots of participation and diverse perspectives there at the table
1: and and just because they're um you know it's hard in the realm of politics because of course we're talking about government and and policies but i think we also need to consider that just because someone doesn't necessarily su- support this particular bill doesn't mean they don't care about that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they might just have a different Politics idea for a, a
0: solution, yeah, right? right. So, Politics is a very difficult realm right. in general, no matter if yeah. you're male or female or non-binary so, or whatever. It still matters to have those voices in the room, right? Absolutely, yes. And I think we agree on a lot more than
2: we think about. You know, with this era of partisan po- polarization, mm-hmm. you know, there's some basic principles of government that everybody in America. Can agree on like the importance of having representation, etc., mm-hmm. and just how you approach different policies
0: differs, and so that's where we get politics, right? So, mm-hmm. Now, what would you advise people who are concerned about voting for women politicians? Like, I know there is some fear still in some voters about voting for a woman in politics, especially with uh, the presidential election coming up. Is that going to count? Is that vote going to count for anything? Yeah, the the line. I mean, it's a hard. It's a hard statement to say, but it's a lot of fear yeah. happening.
1: Yeah, and I agree, right? We we hear this. Um, I I think the line I hear more often um, is, is someone might say, "Well, I don't have a problem electing a woman, or I wouldn't have a problem with a woman and uh, as president, but I I don't think." You know the rest of the country would, or I don't think my neighbor would, or I don't mm-hmm. think my family members would, and um, you know it's hard to parse out the truth in that. But you know, in, in terms of what I would say to that, um, you know, this is these are tough things because we're all, all voters are making calculations because you want your person to to win if mm-hmm. if you believe in them. Um, but just speaking for myself, and you know, I think others. You know, if you heard Elizabeth Warren's speech this week when she. Um, withdrew from the race. She was sort of saying something along these lines, right, um, that I I do think it matters um, that you vote for the person that you believe in, and maybe that's idealistic, but I think that might help address this fear of what other people are going to do, because we don't, we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. You can know who you're voting for, right? Um, The challenge, I think, comes with trying to to filter out all of the noise, because sometimes it's, The media and social media saying like oh people are
0: saying they might not want a woman right that that's that you're gonna waste your votes with this information of concerns and fears all the time and some of that's right simple sexism and Mm -hmm. misogyny but you know I recognize
1: that's hard to do but I think if you start with just hearing um, what the candidate has to say going to their website and reviewing their policies Mm -hmm. and if you find someone you like and they're a woman, um, you know. Try it. not to, yeah. Don't don't worry about like, oh, other people um, might not like this. Um, and and I think that's the 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 best thing that we mm-hmm. can do if it's we about, want people we believe in, yeah. and we want to elect women because we are hearing explicitly right in the Democratic primary mm-hmm. now that this has been the factor for some of those women candidates that they right. they had a lot of support, but then sometimes their supporters feared that they mm-hmm. wouldn't get even more support right
0: it's about changing a mindset it i think it really is because we have like even even women question like is this going to be enough Mm -hmm. right and i think you're correct we just need to take the risk in order to gain the reward or even to even get partially to that so that's important. And ignore the noise. <laughs> right, which is so difficult it now that is. we have social
2: media and yep. constantly around us. Right. And yeah, I mentioned that study that they did in the late 1990s mm-hmm. about what the appearance of the women candidates. Right. Well, they have followed up with another study more recently, and they find that just the professional journalism media outlets, like your newspapers mm-hmm. or the, you know, the large media outlets, right. will report more equitably on male and female candidates. So they're not seeing this disparity in how they're reporting on them. Now it's issues. yes, good. Yeah, it's the same amount of time. <laughs> That's good. But it becomes part of
1: like the punditry and the, the commentaries. Yes. Yeah, it's just <laughs> interesting that
0: it wasn't that long ago that this was still happening. Exactly, 1990s. Right, so but what, you don't think about that. Yes, but
2: social media, though, is now where yeah. people get their news information mm. more often
0: than through these like the local newspaper right
2: and you don't go to
0: a newspaper website all the time you just have it on your phone right
2: that's true Mm -hmm. that's true but you also have these other voices through social media that don't have the kind of requirements or the journalism ethics that you would see the code of ethics
0: or or the knowledge of how to find the correct resources primary sources secondary sources right
2: yeah and one more thing I, i want to say to that question too is We use party cues Mm. when we vote, Yes. so I think hopefully we are at a point or moving closer to a point where it's the party label more than the gender of the candidate that will help us make our Mm. vote decisions.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on from some of the questions I have on the list because we've talked about them. What do you think is the most significant barrier in female leadership in in politics or um, in general? Okay. Well, I was going to talk about three. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. No, no, no. No, that's why we have you on here. (laughs)
2: Because I couldn't decide. I mean, they're all important. But I think number one to me is institutional and Mm -hmm. just the the male-dominated playing field. I think is very difficult for women to break into and feel comfortable in and feel like they um, are a part of. Um, so I think I've already gone over that before, mm-hmm. right? And then the, number two are these political perceptions on women. And the stand, it seems like a differential standard is being applied, whether it is or not,
0: right. that that is what's the, the being... The higher standard, we think. Precisely, of.
2: yes. So I think that can... Uh, make women hesitant to, mm. yeah, to make the effort, and then the systemic lack of equity in domestic duties, mm. and how it falls predominantly on women to take care of families. Um, and then finally, I just add this little note: a, a culture-prizing traditionalism and gender norms can also make it difficult for women.
0: Right, to and have that support. this wasn't in there, but just in case anyone doesn't know, gender norms are just what we associate with each gender. Like if a man goes off to work, makes the money where women Mm -hmm. uh, may do the cooking, the cleaning, the housework, taking care of the kids, that sort of thing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I liked those. I really liked those. (laughs) (laughs) What are specifically women's issues? I know we, we hear that like, um, okay, oh, that's definitely, women are going to back that or something or other. So what are those issues that we really see as quote-unquote women's issues?
2: Oftentimes you're going to see abortion and social welfare policies that do have to do with mm-hmm. you know, taking care of other people mm-hmm. or addressing the needs of the poor, et cetera. So those are typically. Yeah,
0: don't, um, we, don't we have such a, like, I feel like <laughs> there is a divide in those even though they're considered women's issues. Absolutely, yeah, and that is my point with this
2: question. (laughs) (laughs) I had a hard time with that. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because it is so contextual, Mm -hmm. too. Where Mm -hmm. do you live? Where were you raised? What kind of income level are you coming from? Um, What has been your life experience? Mm -hmm. Now, all of these go into thinking about those policy issues and how we would like to approach them, whether you're male or female, Right. right? Um,
0: So maybe we should have a consideration for women's versus male issues.
2: You know, and I would agree with that, except when I think of some issues like abortion Mm -hmm. that have to do with the body. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or even conscription for men. You know, that's Mm -hmm. something that they have to do. Women don't have to do that Mm -hmm. as of now. So, you know, these are specific issues that have to do with very personal Mm
0: -hmm. matters.
2: And so they should have at least... Listen to or consider the perspective, you know, of somebody who is going to affect. Right. So, in that regard, I think yeah, it is a woman's issue. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, when you look at politics, it seems like women in each political party are going to play to the party and act strategically, and so they're going to emphasize women's issues when it's good for their election chances. But then, if it's not, then they're going to kind of toe the party line.
0: Okay. Oh, our next question is how do you think the current era era of feminism has affected politics Um well this is Jensen I, I'll
1: I'll jump in on this one right mean, I do think to the extent the first thing that sort of pops into my mind when I when I hear this phrase the current era of f- feminism is is younger women and of mm. course there are older feminists right from a little bit of an older generation um, but I do think, I, I do see a lot of um, enthusiasm and excitement young, among college students and young mm-hmm. folks more generally, um, including women who, you know, given the fact that we're in this Me Too era, right, right where mm-hmm. um, while, while most of these cases deal with, uh, you know, the workplace and, and older women, I think maybe women in college are certainly aware and maybe have had these experiences. So um, I think to the extent that feminism more generally but especially uh, younger women are affecting politics it's just to almost expect uh, more representation right Mm. and more consideration of their issues to be involved in the discussion um to expect right anytime there's a race that women are going to be a part of that race um
0: and that's nice to have an expectation for that right so if it's not there then we we say something yeah but if it's expected that's what we want is right, it not to be a difference and not to have to be a fight right. to get there. Mm-hmm. And and right, sort of the the flip
1: side of that also is that there's also an expectation that um, their, you know, I- interests and concerns will be addressed, whether it's a man or a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of right going back a few years, but the, you know, the um, sort of the last primary race where you saw a lot of young women really back Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton Hillary on the Democratic mm-hmm. side um and and they might or might not identify as a feminist, but sort of the expectation was i'm I'm not going to back Hillary just because she's a woman right I'm going to mm. listen to those issues, and i'm going to expect this man if if he gets elected to be considerate of of the things that I care about mm-hmm. so um you know it's to the extent that that feminism is a little bit hard to to pin right. down these days it's right. much more diverse um than than historically we think of right. um but I, I definitely think feminism still matters, um, mm-hmm. and there are still um, these issues of concern to, to women of all ages. Um, but I do think um, that it, it, it looks a little bit different in practice when it comes mm-hmm. to politics.
2: Interestingly, the millennial generation is highly engaged. Yeah. You know, normally we see that, okay, the people who don't turn out to vote are the young people. But it seems like those young people now, yeah, they are more Attuned to yeah. politics, yeah.
0: It, it's one. Sh- what is also interesting is those like the tail end of millennial or the beginning Gen of Gen Z, Z. depending mm-hmm. on um, <laughs> what <laughs> article you look at or <laughs> <laughs> what statistic you see. Um, we we, have, we see a big, hopefully at least a, a big spike in interest in politics mm-hmm. now. And a lot more communication um, yes. among parties, I think, in a younger crowd, more open to being like, well, I mean, I agree with this side and I agree with that side. We're trying to mesh together, you know. And I like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you would have been the better person to ask about yeah. that <laughs>
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> now. What are the differences that we see women in politics here versus elsewhere, like around the world? Uh, I know we have um, some other women in politics, like uh, in—I've forgotten now. I had it in my head. It's okay. Well, pretty much everywhere in the world, right? (laughs) Right, right. Right. So, what do you? What? What differences do you see there? I see that women have attained the highest offices in other countries. Of the mm. world, yes,
2: yes, yes, and we are. I was trying to find it in my notes. That's
0: right, the prime minister.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> that's
0: what I was Oh, yeah, there you go, <laughs> there you go, <laughs> the prime minister. Yeah. So,
2: yes, yeah. and right now, the United States ranks 96th across all nations in the number of women in our national legislature. So, why yeah, do you we you think have...
0: that is? Like, why, why are, why is America so far behind the one that's supposed to be so much more independent and equal? Right, uh, <laughs> that's a good. Well,
1: and I will say, um, I don't mean to have so much sarcasm <laughs> no, there, behind that, but right. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking of a um, uh, uh, Theresa May, mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher, right? And and great and uh, uh, Great Britain. Um, but there are are nations that maybe people wouldn't uh, assume have had a, a woman right. a, as head of state. So, um, so I don't think it's just. Uh, oh, we're, we're an evolved democracy or anything like that. I mean, it's, um, I think some of it is the way our, our system is set mm-hmm. up um, has a lot to do with it, um, would be my, my thought. I was going
2: institutions, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> systems, <Yes. laughs>
2: and perceptions. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of those things that we've been talking about, the glass ceiling, um, the, just the history of our country. The culture
0: that we were raised
2: And the culture we were raised in, exactly So how we address policies, how we have elections are all for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? And so there is some concern with elections now that the Shelby County Beholder case struck down some parts of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 Mm-hmm. And so we see that states are passing election laws that some people question, some people find discriminatory, and that are putting hurdles in place for certain populations to go, even go vote.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that just happened this week in Texas. Where it did. The, where
1: you sort of see the disparity in um, black and brown communities in terms of access to access um, to polls. voting yes. rate like and the, 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 the long lines, days, right, yeah. and all that. Yes. all that sort of
2: stuff is still very much... Absolutely, Texas has closed over 700 polling places. That's an incredible number. It is a, an incredible number, and especially for like Super Tuesday when everyone is supposed <laughs> to be able to go, right? Some people in Houston waited over four hours to like vote one or two a.m. They were still right, standing. It in line. took
0: me like ten minutes here.
2: <laughs> right. Yes, it's handy, right? Because we're a smaller right. community. But just
0: think if you lived in an urban community Or yeah. further and, out I mean we had multiple different polling locations mm-hmm. and, and here, Stephenville, mm-hmm. it's very small mm-hmm. And we still mm-hmm. had a large amount We did Of, of polling locations mm-hmm. It's incredible to think that there's none around it Just because of these areas And well Partially
2: that has to do with New voting centers mm. So we have started Creating these places Where you can just Go vote no matter What precinct you're in mm-hmm. Before that You'd have to find out Okay where's my precinct Where am I Yeah where do I, I have to go yeah, or, yeah exactly And so it was a lot More infrastructure Built into the election process Now mm-hmm. you're just, they're Supposed to streamline it The idea was to make It more efficient You just go to one place You don't have to worry About being in your Definitely precinct Definitely
0: makes it easier For college students <laughs> tell <you> <laughs>
2: Yeah for sure Right
1: Yeah yeah. and I think Back to this question Um somewhat surprisingly i do think we we make it more difficult to get registered and to vote in this country than in other places right yes. that d- this is much more um of of something that's available to you and you sort of have to opt out of it where it's it's the opposite here we have you you, you have to actually put in the effort right.
0: um in order to to be a part of, to of the to get your voter's registration yeah. card so um make you sure your address is still the same mm-hmm. as it was 6 months ago or Exactly, Mm -hmm. and for
2: students, you have to make the choice: am I going to go back to my home district, or I going to make this my home district?
0: Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's a a challenge. Uh, So geographically, where are we seeing the most women in politics? And this, I guess, isn't federally, but where are we seeing the most women being elected and being recognized as leaderships in politics?
2: I would say in urban areas, and just the way the parties have evolved. Mm-hmm. Now the Democratic Party is much more welcoming to women, is much more promoting of women. They have established networks for women to use as they try to fundraise and get support for their campaigns, whereas on the Republican side, they don't have that mm-hmm. as much. I see. So, yes, yeah, so if you see more women candidates coming up, it's usually through the Democratic Party. Okay. Yeah. And so outside of the South,
1: which is <laughs> <Probably> not <laughs> which is largely very, yes. Democratic, <laughs> where... And that's not to say, of course, women um, aren't active and don't have positions here. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen races oh. to the South where women were very pivotal, but um, right, you, you do see that
2: exactly. in more democratic and urban areas. Exactly. Yes. And I was just thinking of the judge positions that were overturned in Houston in the election of 2018. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, there were like 59 judge positions on the ballot.
0: Mm.
2: Big county. Yes. And lots of courts. Yes. <laughs> Every single one of them was filled by a Democrat, mm-hmm. and that included and I was looking for the number, I think it was 19 black women judges wow. yes, were elected in 2018, so it was it was quite remarkable. Yes, yes, that, that that happened.
0: that is incredible. yeah,
2: so I think yeah those areas and then also areas that are used to more progressive policies, perhaps, and mm-hmm. ideas. Well, like the urban centers in the Midwest or the Northeast, right. in California, um, so.
1: But that might be changing too. I mean, again, I'm thinking, right? That these Southern states are still largely Republican dominated, mm-hmm. but um, you think about the, the the campaign for Doug Jones in Alabama, who replaced Jeff Sessions' um, Senate seat. Not to get too much in the weeds, but you know, uh, Black women in particular were really credited with mm-hmm. helping to get him elected. Um Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who ran um, for for the governorship there, um, came very close, right? And of course, she's running right. in the Democratic Party, but we're talking mm-hmm. about a, a state that's been very red for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you are starting to see um, some some of these candidates um, do very well, but also i don't I don't want to forget the work of those voters um, who mm-hmm. in some of these states, which yeah, but I think it, we would include Texas um, sometimes have an uphill battle, but they're yeah. they're putting in the effort.
0: And it's nice that, that we have the right to vote here, because we it's very, very important. You're right. It's, it's not only the campaigner's job to go out there and make sure people know um, his or her face or his or her name, um, party affiliation and all that, but it's the job of the voters to get them in there mm-hmm. if, if we really care about mm-hmm. them. Now, why is there a whole month dedicated to Women's History? I wanted to bring this up because it is March, and so why is that? Why do you think that is?
1: I think that's a, it's a good question because people um, wonder why we have these months set aside for mm-hmm. various groups in in our country, and I mean it specifically for women. It, I think it sort of comes um, down to um, the sort of the history of women being um, less recognized. Uh, for their contributions. Mm. Um, you know, and I teach history, so really for much of the 20th century, women were left out of American history classes and it's not because mm. they weren't doing stuff and weren't important. Mm. We just didn't tell those stories. And so I think sort of coming out of this sort of rights revolution era of the 1960s and 1970s, there was a recognition that uh, we need to recognize the the contributions of sort of historically marginalized. Right groups. So, of course, we have Black History Month mm-hmm. and Hispanic Heritage Month. There's Pride um, Month. Cause. Yeah, Pride mm-hmm. Month, of course. And so, this is just a way um, not to say these people are, are More better than anybody no. else, right, are special, are um, anybody who who's not a woman, right, or not African-American, or not in the LGBT community, right, don't deserve to be recognized for the work. Mm-hmm. But it's just the way that um, uh, society has recognized them. So, this, mm-hmm. this does go back um, to the jimmy carter administration um to start uh recognizing women's history month as a way to highlight women in history um and their contributions and even though it's been around for a few decades now um i think every every march um we hear these names and we hear stories of these women that 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 people just don't know and so Mm -hmm. i think it's still uh, a good thing and still still needed
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so it brings out of the shadows what people did women did for so long before we can even think about it and it's like you learn it in grade school elementary school whichever and it's like not something that really affects you as much and then we have this month that's dedicated to it and we're like Mm -hmm. okay it's it's incredibly important and all of these names that I went through that's there's so many more Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to choose what's important when really all of it was mm-hmm. an incredible step, and at the time it felt like such a small step each way, mm-hmm. but we've gotten to this point, and hopefully we'll get even further. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and yeah, and Marcy said a
1: little bit earlier she talked about representation and that matters. So if you're a mm-hmm. young, you know, young girl out there, and you're like, oh, I, I want to go in science, I want to be an astronaut, I want to go into politics, but you don't know from your history classes or from the pop, you know, pop culture around you that right. women have done those things, mm-hmm. it might discourage you. So right here here comes right, Women's History Month, and then yes. you start hearing about these women who work for NASA and, right, mm-hmm. and had these roles in it, it, I think it then can help inspire people um, to recognize that, oh, I, that person did it, I, I can too.
0: There's so many people in history backing <laughs> you. <laughs> you can go for it. Exactly right, yes. All right, um, I wanted to ask, how do you think we can close this gap between the genders here in the United States at least. okay so in mm-hmm. politics in politics okay yes. right. so I took
2: that to mean have more women run perhaps okay okay um, Yes, because the more women we get out there, then the more women who are, are in those networks and able to assist and help along other women candidates, right mm-hmm. So I just said to support women candidates, you know? Right, it goes back to that, <laughs> that question we had earlier yeah. about the voting. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And actually maybe consider running for office somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's one of, it, it's key is one of the reasons why we don't have more women is because there's not more women running for mm-hmm. offices. And um, so another way is to contribute to organization like EMILY's List, And EMILY's List stands for Early Money is Like Yeast. And so you give money to the organization and they distribute it to female candidates. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I put down in my notes, but we've already talked about just as media consumers, try to get beyond all the noise and the Mm -hmm. punditry and just look at the candidate, candidates, and what they're standing for, what they would like to do as political representatives Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. now I think we're going to go to our final question what advice do you have for women trying to get into this field or even voting what advice do you guys have well I think it's critical
2: to get involved with party leaders actually you've got to run through the party system if you want to be successful if you want to be elected it's really important third party candidates maybe sometimes get elected but if you really want to get into office have a seat at the table you need to get elected mm-hmm. and party leaders have a lot of influence because they can help you they can support you they can encourage you they can send funds you know around you to help you with your campaign mm-hmm. so it's important to get active in a political party at some level support a candidate okay. you know mm-hmm. volunteer um and Try to take leadership roles. Maybe be a delegate to a convention. Get your name out there. Maybe you get mm-hmm. to become one of the electoral college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so grow your own network and become involved with organizations. Let them know who you are. Um, and then also, on the other side of that, because women do shoulder a lot of the domestic chores, don't be afraid to ask for help. I know sometimes women don't feel like it's right for them to hire a maid You know, I should be able to take care of this myself, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think you got to have a network
0: professionally and also personally, personally, exactly have those resources available to you. Right, right. I know it's very difficult for me because I do have, I feel that way of like, okay, I got to get the housework done. I have to get dishes and all this, but I also have, um, I'm graduating. I have a job here. I am doing all of these things and I'm working to get my career started it's it's hard to have those other responsibilities on top of all. Of that It really is, and when you're caring for
2: another person, mm-hmm. you know, running for office, you might take a back seat for a while. Right. Yes, right. and and we see that women do that. They tend mm-hmm. to step out of their careers temporarily or permanently once you know, they have a family and they're taking care of their children.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: I'll, yeah. and I'll put in a, a quick little plug here for for local politics.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. we we talked um, today about the right to vote and how a lot of people in this country had to fight really hard to earn the right to vote and yet we see um, year after year that that we don't have huge voter turnouts but local elections have, have the worst. So local politics matters okay. and I think in answer to this question, um, you know, city council, school board, right, these positions matter, not that national politics doesn't matter, right, right? but they almost can can have a, a more important um, impact in our day-to-day lives, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe when you're trying to figure these things out and dip your toes in, um, start local. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing with voting, right? If, um, I don't know, maybe on a, a primary day or a, a presidential election day, um, I, you should still get out and vote, right? But when <laughs> right, we right, talked right. about these challenges earl- earlier, um, a lot of times these local elections that are sort of off-year uh, really matter. And... and if you get in the habit of voting whenever your, your city has an election, um, I think it's a way for you to get engaged and now you're not only paying attention to these national issues, which again are important, but you're also more plugged into what's going on locally. And I think mm-hmm. that can, can draw us into um, being politically engaged as well. All
0: right. Thank you guys so much for being on here. Think we're gonna close us out, but thank you guys so much. We loved hearing from you, and maybe we'll have another uh, women's specific episode either later this month, um, as it is March, or in the future. Because I hope this podcast goes somewhere right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we went over a lot of information, there are plenty of questions and answers and materials out there that we may not have covered. So if you'd like more information, you can send in something to the radio stations, Facebook or Instagram. I run both of those, so I'll get your information. That's at the Planet 100.7. That's where you guys can get into contact with me. I'm also going to include some of the links to the resources I found in in the description box below, and I'm probably going to get some uh, sources from these guys as well all right and if you'd like to follow us for more updates about the podcast maybe our next topic or next month's topic again make sure you follow us on facebook instagram we do also have a twitter the planet 100.7 again so thank you so much and please join me next episode with a guest every week for those tough questions thank you thank you